Hi, I'm Ellie Carter from Extended, and if you've been enjoying our podcast, we really need your help. We need a few moments of your time to review Extended on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast player. A five-star review would be brilliant, and it would be great if you could add some text as well. The more positive reviews, the better chance we have of raising the profile of the podcast and bringing even more great guest content in the future. It will only take a few moments of your time, and we would really appreciate your support. Thank you. It almost makes a mockery of, of the entire purpose of having these things, because this is the point at which now they're, 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 they're called upon to be used. Uh, it's all good and well to, 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 to have the aircraft, to have the ships, but if you can't have them available at the time you actually need to use them, which is now, what's the point of having them at all? The aircraft are, generally speaking, quite fine. They're in good shape. They're, you know, they aren't that old. Uh, so it's, it's really, this is, again, an issue that could be solved quite quickly if the wool was there. Welcome to the latest episode of Extended. Email us now. Get involved at aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. It's time to talk aviation. Hello there, I'm Peter Johnson and welcome to episode 140 of Aerospace Radio Station Extended. Reading recently about the condition of the South African Air Force and only about 20% of their aircraft operational, I felt I needed to find out a bit more. It's been a really long time since I last had an update from South Africa and today I'm joined by Darren Olivier from the African Defence Review. All the way today from Sydney. Darren, welcome to Extended. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. No, it's it's good to have you on and you are the go-to man for African defence and particularly African defence and the aerospace sector. Uh, I know when we last talked, you were, you were in Africa. What finds you in Sydney today? So I've been travelling around uh, for, for, for the business side, um, right. you know, first to Amsterdam and now to Sydney. So really kind of, I think, glow popping uh, yeah. at the moment, which is a lot of fun. And how? just, just before we start talking about South Africa, how are you finding these uh, long distance flights post the pandemic? Uh, very long. I mean, the flight yeah. from Amsterdam to Sydney was, was um, uh, you know, 22 hours in the air uh, in total. And uh, I'm not sure that the airlines are entirely correctly set up for it. It was a bit uncomfortable at times. And there <laughs> were some issues with um, uh, kind of follow-on flights. So uh, especially, you know, in, in my case, with having to reroute around Ukraine, yeah, because of the war there. Uh, so it's it's a challenge, uh, nonetheless. You know, I think everyone's trying to do their best and, and, and handle it the best way. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, the South African Air Force. Let's start off with the South African Air Force. Um, they're having a torrid time. At any one point, around twenty percent of their aircraft are operational or potentially available. Um, it seems to be a bit of a moving feast, doesn't it? Yeah, look, things are extremely bad. Uh, and this is a situation we've been warning about for years, saying we'd get to this point. And, you know, evidently those warnings went unheeded. We're at the stage now where, uh, I mean, yesterday there was an April full story about the Air Force becoming an air wing, officially. And actually, you know, it's one of those stories that's a little too close to the truth. Because the Air Force, you know, the second Air Force is, is not that far from losing all of its combat capabilities. At this point, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, all of its weapons are, are currently grounded. They've been grounded since uh, August last year, uh, and it's currently doubtful whether they'll fly again this year. Right. Uh, in the meantime, obviously, all, all the fighter pilots have lost their currency. They're going to have to um, fly over to Sweden to regain that, presuming the aircraft do fly again. Yeah. Um, and yes, you know, from top to bottom, uh, it's, it's a complete 
actually real disaster. And even worse, it appears there isn't enough fucking recognition at the highest levels of how bad things are. Yeah. Now, this is all about investment, really, and ongoing running costs. And the procurement arm of the South African government has been trying to, 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 to keep track on this. It's got lots of maintenance, outsourced maintenance deals and things like that. But let's start looking at some of these areas uh, of, of aircraft individually. It, we've we talked about the Griffin. Um, Griffin, sorry, Griffin. <laughs> sorry about that. Freudian slip there. We talked about the Griffin. Um, 26 aircraft. Tell us a bit about the, the, the history of these, Darren. So the American Air Force acquired Gribbons uh, in the what's called the Mountbatten Lion Arms Deal. Uh, it acquired originally 28, and then uh, dropped to to fund certain um, capabilities additionally. Um, it acquired them to replace the Cheetah aircraft, which at the time were upgraded Mirage 3s uh, predominantly. Yeah. A couple were airframes from Israel as well. Uh, those are either Nishas or Kafirs, and no one's ever confirmed that. Nonetheless, uh, so this was a replacement of, of a capability that already existed. Uh, the Griffins were chosen because they're you know, fairly affordable, lightweight fighters, uh, pretty good at operating from dispersed areas, and of course they have very low maintenance requirements compared to most other aircraft. Uh, the Air Force has, I think, you know, they're quite happy with the aircraft. They've operated them um, successfully for the last, you know, since they, they, they began entering service around 2008 or so. In fact, um, they even at one point were deployed for combat purposes. Uh, in 2013, when South Africa was involved in the Battle of Bangui, uh, and uh, the forces were effectively closely being overrun by a massively oversized rebel force, uh, the Air Force sent up four weapons via First uh, Zambia and the DRC to be available in case there was a need to perform any combat actions over Bangui. So that was the first time they were actually deployed in anger. Um, so that being said, of course, the issue here is that the the budget that the Air Force receives specifically for the Hawks and the Griffins has been declining sharply year on year to the point where now it's down to only about 314 million rand. I mean, to give you an idea of how little that is, the cost of a three-year support contract with Saab is more than that. Right. So the problem you have now is, is that this is a unit that requires at least a billion rand uh, a year to function. Probably about two billion rand a year to function properly, uh, and it's only receiving three hundred million rand a year. So it's effectively com- been completely squeezed. And what was done in the past is um, so initially starting in 2012, the Air Force to try and meet this this uh, um, uh, tricking budget decided to um, effectively put twelve of the aircraft into rotational storage. The idea being that. Uh, uh, every few months to every few years, they would rotate out the aircraft from the storage pool into the active pool and, 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 and therefore keep costs low without having any aircraft being properly mothballed. Yeah. Uh, as time has gone on and as the, the budget has shrunk even further, the Air Force has been forced to cannibalize the aircraft in the storage pool to the point where uh, the 12 that are there now are probably beyond, um, I mean, uh, yeah, probably couldn't be returned to service just because they've been stripped of so many LRUs. Yeah. Um, and again, part of the issue here is that South Africa never bought into the Swedish concept of a fully um, combined integrated support system. Instead, it has the support contract, which is only for every three years, but it then has to pay for every additional component of LRU separately. Right. And of course, um, because of the nature of South African budgeting and the low budget in general, and of course, certain um, current regulations, every time it requires a new LRU, it has to go through this whole process that, that itself takes months. On top of that, you then have the multi up to 24 months lead time for a new part to come from Sweden. So combined all of these factors, you have the aircraft availability dropping year on year, and the budget tricking to the point where now um, officially it's, gotten, it's now reached a crisis level where the Air Force could not afford to then um, pay for the next tranche of, of, of support contracts for the next three years. Another factor is that uh, there's been a dispute between Armscore, which is the procurement agency, and the Air Force regarding uh, how to properly structure these deals, yeah. how to properly um, arrange which, which, you know, what gets paid for, who gets paid, what portion occurs. 
So, for example, one of the sticking points is that ARMSCO is trying to insist that up to 30% of the contract value be placed inside South Africa, uh, which is part of South Africa's you know, preferential yeah. procurement regulation. Yeah, understood, I suppose. Course, a, lot, a lot of countries are doing that sort of deal these days, aren't they? Well, it, it's, it makes sense if you have the capacity locally. Yeah. So, you know, when South Africa acquired the Gripens, it had the intentions of doing much more of the support uh, locally. Yeah. Sorry, the support the yeah. So in, in, you're talking about in terms of skills training um, and support personnel, that sort of thing, bring in as much as they could into South Africa so that they were more self-reliant and less reliant on external parties. Exactly, yes. I mean, for example, one of the original um, objectives was that Danel would be able to perform a full overhaul of the RM12 engine. Yeah. Um, that hasn't happened, uh, partially because skills are being lost, partially because the cost of doing so became prohibitive. And also partially because, in general, South Africa's defense industry has shrunk massively. So companies that used to exist that could provide certain services aren't there anymore. Yeah. Therefore, um, you know, probably about, I think, 80% of the Gripen's uh, depot-level maintenance requirements are now fulfilled by uh, companies overseas, whereas mm. the, the original goal was to be about half-half. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned the, the the Hawk, which I'm presuming they use as a lead-in fighter trainer. Um, how Are any of those flying? Are, are any of the fast jets flying? Yeah, so the Hawks are currently operational. Uh, there's any given day between four and six that are airworthy. Again, large problems with uh, a big part of the fleet being cannibalized. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the question of, you know, what value do the Hawks provide if the Gripen is on flight? So currently, the, the Hawks are being used to um, keep the FOSJET pilots active, to try and keep some currency going, and to you know, give, give Gripen pilots especially a, a ride so that they don't feel the need to, to, to leave the Air Force. Um, but there aren't enough aircraft for that. There isn't enough of a budget for that either. Uh, I mean, that 340 million rand is for both the Hawks and the Gripens, to give you some context. Wow. And um, so that's currently an issue. Another problem is that the Hawks are supposed to have a certain level of operational capability by now. So although they were acquired as lead by the trainers, there was intention to have them available for ground attack and, of course, um, a project to equip them with helmet-mounted sites and ADOS missiles to be used in the point defense role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was cancelled because both of, of a lack of funding and because of the delays around ADOS missile, which still to this day hasn't been delivered to the Air Force because of, of the null's problems. So what you have now is you have these aircraft that you know, if the Griffins aren't aren't available or in service, they have no purpose. I mean, their only purpose is to prepare parts for the Griffins. So if it gets to the point in the next few months where the Air Force decides, okay, we, we now have to properly give up, um, retire the Griffins, it's almost certain that the Hawks will soon follow. Wow. 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 And then um, sitting below that in, in, in aircraft type, um, they've got a number of PC-12s as well. But as I understand it, they're also running a very thin line to potentially dropping out of the system as well. Yes. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, a number of the aircraft were upgraded by Pilatus to bring them up to some more modern standards. Part of the problem there was that they had a very you know, obsolete a joint suite, you know, the aircraft were delivered back in 95 or so. Yeah. Um, so uh, all of that, this, I mean, if you think about the fact that there's a, a fleet of 35 aircraft that are meant to be providing all of the, you know, basic flight training for the Air Force. Um, at this stage, only about two to four are currently available, which is not nearly enough for a full wings course. Yeah. So the, the issue here is, is that the Air Force has effectively stopped Flying, basically flying, flying training in South Africa, and has instead been sending pilots to Cuba for basic flight training, uh, which is a problem because of, you know not only do pilots well, do they then have to go through a full year of learning Spanish, but uh, the standards and protocols and doctrines of the Cuban Air Force are not like ours. Yeah, sure. Which means that when pilots come back, they've got to spend more time to to be well uh, reintegrated into the Air Force and and, and learn the you know, our way of doing things. Yeah. On top of that, you have the issue that um, uh, these aircraft aren't only to be used for basically flight training, also to be used for certain advanced flying training in terms of teaching pilots various skills they're going to need on the flight line. Yeah. So what you have now, of course, is that that's all stopped too. So uh, effectively, a whole bunch of, of, of pilot candidates 
uh, in the pipeline are currently stuck, frozen, and, and waiting for uh, an opportunity to progress further. Yeah. Now, Darren, um, historically, the South Africa Air Force, and you remember you, you mentioned some of those aircraft that it uh, operated before the arrival of the Gripen, um, was was quite active in terms of skills, in terms of operations, but also um, in terms of experience in in effect in combat um, in, in 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 Africa. Um, have we seen? that skill, that capability can draining out over the last decade? You know, I think that's inevitable. So I think some context is, is needed here in that the Air Force of the 1980s was, you know, living large. Uh, it had a phenomenally high budget. Effectively, money was no object. Yeah. Uh, whatever they needed, they could get. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the country at the time was spending about Five uh, percent of its GDP on on defence, and a lot of that went to the air force. Uh, you know, so if we look at the kind of flying time that they got, they got I mean hundreds and hundreds of hours a year, uh, and obviously quite a lot of it was combat flying. So you just can't repeat that kind of experience in peacetime, especially not on the dwindling hours we have. And to give you an example of of how how that's developed over the years, so if we take let's say 2010. So 2010 is, was already a time when the Air Force was struggling a bit. It's not that long ago. Um, but nonetheless, the Air, Force, the Air Force in 2010 flew a total of about 40,000 flying hours a year. Of that, uh, 25,000 were flown in what's called force preparation, so training, um, skills development, um, currency maintenance, those kind of flying hours. And about 14,000 were flown as force employment, so operations, exercises, and, and support to, to other arms of the of, of the defense force. And about a thousand hours VFP flying. Um, today, so in the last budget, that figure dropped to a total of seventeen thousand two hundred, so less than half, of which only twelve thousand are force preparation hours, five thousand force employment hours, and a thousand are VIP. Um, from what I've been told of the upcoming budget, it's likely that's gonna change again. To a total of twelve thousand flying hours, wow. of which only seven thousand are force preparation, four thousand are force employment, and a thousand are VIP. Uh, and just looking in terms of the overall budget, um, in, in terms of inflation, the, the, the Air Force budget in 2010 was about eleven to twelve billion rand. Today's budget is six point two billion rand, and that doesn't include the fact that since that time, the value of the rand versus the dollar has Effectively halved. Uh, it's gone from seven rand fifty to dollar to uh, well, actually more than half, fourteen rand sixty. So all of your parts, um, which are mostly you know uh, US dollar donated, have now doubled in price. The cost of fuel has gone up. So when you consider the actual operational spend available to the Air Force, it's effectively only about twenty-five to thirty percent of what it received as recently as twenty ten. Let alone, you know, the, the, the halcyon days of the, eight, the 1980s or even the, the 1990s. Yeah. yeah. So it, this is a really an issue of you can't sustain an air force of this size and with these capabilities on the funding you receive today. Right. And something has to give, and what, what's given is this. Uh, you've now seen aircraft being grounded. You see the availability of the rest of the fleet, you know, dropped to crazily low levels. You're at the point where um, many of the types in the Air Force are now marginal. Yeah, uh, it becomes impossible to to really operate them. So yeah, it's it's predominantly an issue of money. Did you know that the first G suit for British pilots was essentially a chest high pair of fishermen's waders, which were filled with two gallons of water. The water automatically squeezed the pilot's legs as positive G was applied. Did you also know? that the Islamic Republic of Iran Air Force's oldest McDonnell Douglas F-4D Phantom is set to clock up more than 70 years in service, having been delivered in 1968 and now subject to life extension programmes taking it to 2040? If your answers to the above are yes, you're probably a regular reader of The Aviation Historian, the quarterly journal that explores the less well-trodden paths of flying history. If your answers are no visit theaviationhistorian.com and see what you're missing. Let's look at some other aircraft types, um, just to, to, again to put this into context. Um, uh, 
maybe if we we look at helicopters first and then just come back to look at some of the heavy aircraft the vip aircraft and and the cargo aircraft because i think there's some real context around these things from a helicopter's perspective south africa had a developed its own capabilities you know you got the Rui Volks. have i just have i have I pronounced that right? <laughs> Rui Volks. Um, the Oryx is a, a, an aircraft like that that had really set South Africa on its journey to having its own capacity to deliver particularly strike and, and lift helicopters. But where is it at the moment? You know, I, I, I wasn't aware until quite recently there were uh, also lynxes in the um, in the mix. Given some of the things I, I've read more recently about South Africa and its force projection, um, how is it able to do that, particularly from the sea with a lack of lynxes? Uh, and also in places north of South Africa, you know, Mozambique, etc., without um, some of the lift helicopters and some of the strike helicopters? That's an excellent question. And we're seeing it have an impact already in Mozambique which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. So first of all, some context uh, that's also applicable here. In this case, the fleet of, of, of choppers aren't affected only by the Air Force budget, but by the collapse of the mill, uh, which is the state-owned arms company, uh, as a result of massive corruption over the past 15 years, uh, to the point where the mill um, has, has not paid many of the staff for maybe two years. Uh, they've been short-paid. Uh, the majority of the staff we could have left um, and there's an issue where Danel can't properly maintain aircraft. Uh, when I say properly, it, it, uh, there are massive delays. It takes forever to, for it to happen. And the Air Force even has to pay suppliers on behalf of Danel yeah. because Danel itself has been blacklisted by suppliers. Right. Um, so, and that's especially a problem in the case of, of the Royfolk because Danel is the OEM in that case. Yeah. And the Oryx because uh, Danel is, is, is the Danel authority. So looking at that, I mean, the Air Force only has 11 Royfox, uh in total. Um, you know, it had 12. One of them had a, a hard landing during testing of one of the systems. So it's not a huge fleet to start off with. It's really something you have to really shepherd in order to have any kind of um, capability which you can deploy. Uh, since 2013, there has been a trio deployed to the DRC uh, on, on an almost permanent basis. So that was to, to allow – there should always be two – of them operational, with one aircraft as the backup. Yeah, and for those out, um, out for those outside of Africa, you're talking about the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yes, yes, sorry. Okay, so they're, no, it's they're, okay. They're serving there with 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 the the UN mission there, MONUSCO. Yeah. Um, although it's kind of a weird thing at the moment. So from 2013 till about 2020 or 2020 or so, they were funded by the UN. Uh, then, as a result of budget cuts to, to the UN missions. Uh, the UN couldn't afford to pay them anymore. So they're being sustained there purely on the SA budget, which is kind of a weird thing. Nonetheless, they're, they're there and available for the, the, the SA and DF troops currently deployed um, there as well. Uh, the problem, of course, with this is that there are only about four of the aircraft that are serviceable out of the fleets of 11. Um, so it's two of those in the DRC. And uh, two back into Africa. Yeah, that figure goes up and down. I mean, um, as you know, serviceable aircraft come and go as aircraft leave mental maintenance. Um, but nonetheless, this we, there should be more available. Yeah, and this is now, not affected the, because yeah, Karen. Um, I was just going to say, Darren, for those who, who who don't know, this is a strike helicopter, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. This, this is a. Um, I mean, in SANDF pilots, it's a combat support helicopter. Yeah. So very much like an Apache in its, in its approach. It's big and heavy, can fire and take missiles. Uh, you know, it's got a you know well, helmet helmet operated uh, turret, gun turret, fires rockets and all the rest. Darren, did it's I? Very, very did, aircraft. Sorry to interrupt you there. Did I see one of these at Farnborough maybe six eight years ago? I think I saw one displaying. Would have been older than that, so it would have been around ninety four to ninety five or so. Right, okay. Um, that was when aging myself. Then. The Roy... <laughs> no worries. Um, that was when the Royal Falk was a, a competitor for the British Army's um, requirement. Right. Okay. Uh, and I, 
can't recall which company they're partnered with, Marconi or Westman, one of them to to uh, you know enter the contest. Ultimately, it lost out to the Apache. Yeah, it's so it's, it's, it's a, a it's pretty impressive the, helicopter, though, isn't it? And I'm I'm really surprised yeah, it didn't get any export orders. Well, you know, this is. Um, I mean, in terms of its dynamics, it, it, it's an excellent aircraft. It's um, extremely agile, so it, it's essentially overpowered for its size. Yeah. Despite being a very large and heavy aircraft, I mean, it weighs what eight and a half tons, um, and uh, uh, and also has extremely low levels of vibration, and it's a very stable platform. The downside, of course, is that uh, Denel of the years wasn't able to properly develop its onboard systems. So while you have an excellent aircraft dynamically, it's not necessarily up to par. In terms of you know what it carries in sensors, what it carries in in, in onboard right. computers, okay, uh, what it can fire. Uh, at the same time, Danelle was exceptionally naive in some of its early attempts at marketing this. So you know, Danelle's executive team came out of the sanctions busting era in South Africa, and they really had no knowledge or understanding of how the international defence market worked. So I mean, there was a case, for example, where they offered the airport to Australia. And uh, along with uh, BAE Australia, and um, the contest was put on hold and then restarted. And Danelle kind of had a bit of a fit over that and refused to tender for the second phase, which left their partners completely mystified. You know, right. it's, it's a kind of, of weird decision that, that they were making at the time. Anyway, yes. Uh, long story short, it, it's a pity it doesn't sell more. It's a, it was a good good aircraft, but uh, during its time where it was the most was most competitive and most likely to win orders. It was really affected badly by, I think, some really poor decision making at the top level. Right. Okay. Uh, nonetheless, it's still excellent helicopter. I mean, it it it, it, it formed a, uh, or it, it was effectively the the major turning point in the, the UN missions uh, fighting against M23. So to give some context around this, uh, M23 was a rebel group rumored to be supported by Rwanda. That it made such in- inroads in the DRC in around 2011 to 2013 that they had taken over the regional capital of Goma. Uh, this was highly embarrassing to both the UN and to you know the government of the DRC. Uh, so the UN formed you know a new brigade to help uh, 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 force them out, and part of that brigade was then bringing in more effective aircraft, of which the Royal Flock was 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 one of them. And it was the Royal Fox's uh, abilities to to be able to operate in all weathers, you know, in some of the extremely hostile terrain in the area, um, you know, where it's often very low cloud, very high levels of mist. Uh, that was a, a real turning point against them twenty three and helped force them completely back over the border. So it's already had, I think, its its moment in the sun in terms of being effective in combat and um, certainly proven itself. But by that stage, really, all all the main opportunities had had passed by. It's a baffling situation, as I said, a more than capable airframe um, let down by the ability to sell it and uh, and operate it, really. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, for some additional context, uh, Demel's proposed a relatively minor set of upgrades that would nonetheless allow us to operate for you know, another 10, 15 years easily at a much lower operating cost. So amongst yeah. these, they proposed to replace the main site with a Hensoldt Argos 410, which is a lot cheaper to operate and also much more advanced than the current uh, MITAL system. They want to replace much of the wiring with you know new fiber optic wiring, uh, replace all the computers with, with more modern ones. And the overall cost of this upgrade would be quite modest. I haven't got a full figure, but it's you know on the order of, of maybe 110 million or so. Yeah. Yet that would, uh, you know, substantially reduce the operating cost. But the Air Force doesn't even have the funds to do this. So it's sitting at the point where it has the ability to reduce operating costs of this aircraft and keep operating for much longer. But it can't afford to do even that. I mentioned the the links earlier. Now, they're, of course, naval helicopters. Well, they are in South African service. They're, they're naval helicopters. Um, now, I believe some of those projections of force include South African Navy ships. Uh, are any of these links deployed? Are they are they operational? Uh, no. Uh, there's currently one aircraft that, that's... Well, there's, there are a couple that are, you call them airworthy. So there's one aircraft that is flying that's currently only being used to uh, for pilot training and to return pilot to currency. 
right. it's not currently operational and that it can be deployed upon one of the the, the, the Navy's frigates. So the most likely outcome is that uh, the frigate that's been designated for this this, this mission in, in, in Mozambique is going to sail without an onboard helicopter. Yeah. Uh, to course, less than ideal. And um, yes, uh, you know, it almost makes a mockery of, of the entire purpose of having these things because this is the point at which now they're 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 called upon to be used. Yeah, uh, it's all good and well to, to 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 have the aircraft, to have the ships, but if you can't have them available at the time you actually need to use them, which is now, what's the point of having them at all? I just want to say um, what what I mentioned earlier about the long lead time on spares. It, it's especially a problem with with the links. So and to give you an idea, the majority of link spare items take you know. Um, you know, 20 to 24 months to deliver. And because the Air Force can't afford to keep any kind of spare stocks, you know, available, every time it needs new parts, it has to go through the whole process of ordering from scratch and ordering only what it immediately needs. Yeah. So the the, the main reason the Lynx is currently unserviceable is because of that space situation as opposed to any problem with the aircraft. The aircraft are generally speaking quite fine. Yeah. They're in good shape. They're, um, you know, they aren't that old. Uh, so it's, it's really, this is, Again, an issue that could be solved quite quickly if the wall was there. Yeah. Well, let's let's look to um, some of the cargo VIP and the the, the, the heavy aircraft. Um, South sure. Af- South Africa still operates the C forty seven. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, since nineteen forty three, I believe, when I was doing a, a little bit of research. But um, I can appreciate anyone's going to have challenges keeping keeping those going so you know i think it goes without saying but again talking about projection uh, things like the c-130s uh, those are the sorts of things that south africa really needs in 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 terms of some of the regional activities supporting the un and 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 stuff like that across a much wider uh, geographic operational area where 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 does the Air Force stand in being able to operate some of these aircraft? Okay, before I go on to that, I'm going to quickly mention uh, the RX helicopters first. Oh, sorry. They're yep. a very similar kind of area. But, um, again, looking at force projection and, and the question of you know vital assets, the RX forms the heart of the Air Force's um, capabilities. It, it, it had, at one point, 50 of them uh, in service. It, it had 39 that they were upgraded with, uh, you know, about 10 years ago. Uh, and of that, on any given time, only around 17 are serviceable at best. Of that, there are five deployed with the year mission in DRC, and there are only two deployed in Mozambique, even though there's a need for far many, oh, sorry, for, for far more. Uh, so this, again, is linked to both the, the, the decline in funding, the problem with acquiring spares, and the problem with the nil. Uh, you know, there are there have been airframes at Danel waiting waiting services for so long that Danel actually tried to send them back to the Air Force because it was afraid of the liability of having the aircraft there for so long. So it's uh, it's really a problem at the moment in terms of this most critical element of the Air Force's fleet. Um, and it wouldn't require that much to, to keep them operational either. We're talking about uh, you know another five hundred million rand or so, which is not that much in the, in, the, in the overall scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, this is the complete workhorse. Um, but to give you an idea of, of um, how important they are, so currently we've deployed two of them to, 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 to Mozambique, and this is far from sufficient. You know, you're trying to move around almost a brigade size of troops with just two helicopters, and this is also terrain that is extremely difficult to traverse by vehicle. So what you, if you don't have support from from helicopters, you're you're effectively limited to only going on the roads, which of course then means that the insurgents are able to easily ambush you. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the the SANDS um, actual doctrine uh, around uh, how many aircraft it needs to airlift uh, a typical battalion or even platoon or, or, or squad, uh, an orange can lift twenty uh, fully equipped troops. That means if you want to lift a single company of, of riflemen, it's at least six RX helicopters. So you, you know, and plus you need around, uh, you need around nine because you need uh, two in reserve and you need one available for medevac. So, you know, 
um, what they actually need for Mozambique for the size of the force is at least 12 to 15 RXs. Um, and of course, they only have two. And this is, again, gives a sense of, of, of what an impact this, this lack of availability has on the Air Force. Plus, this isn't just about Mozambique, of course. You know, the RX is the, the aircraft used for all search and rescue in South Africa from the military side. It's used for um, any time the, the military is called aside for uh, firefighting. And, you know, essentially, it's, it's, it's what's required to be a standby for any kind of eventuality. So we're at the point now where um, even though each squadron is required to have at least one to two RXs available on standby, there are days where that isn't even available. G'day, I'm Dave Homewood of the Wings of New Zealand show, New Zealand's only regular aviation podcast series. The Wings of New Zealand show covers all sorts of aviation topics, with a New Zealand flavour but an international appeal. From interviews with veterans and aviation personalities, to topics like military aviation, warbirds, air shows, historians, authors, museums, aviation events, and much, much more. We have an extensive archive of episodes that you can go back to, and there are new episodes coming out all the time. Search for the Wings Over New Zealand show. Oh, and by the way, we love Extended. It's a great show. Well done, guys. Darren, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, I mentioned some of the, the, the heavier aircraft. The situation's pretty similar. I mean, the Hercules would be an aircraft that would be uh, in support of those troop movements, humanitarian aid uh, and other operational um, challenges. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it they're suffering the same fate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Air Force on paper now has eight C-130s. Uh, one of them was lost in a in, in a hard landing in Goma uh, about a year ago. Although of those of those eight, um, only six are actually available. Uh, so three of the aircraft are um, well either damaged or struck beyond repair, so they haven't flown in many years. Um, so on of those, there's only at any given time one C-130 available. Uh, at good times, maybe two. And on the very rare occasion, three. Wow. Wow. So what this means wow. is that, yeah, you, most of the time, the Air Force has only a single C-130 available for any kind of operational mission. Um, and uh, so it, it does try to rotate out the, those six through various stages of maintenance to at least ensure that there's one available at any given time and there's a surge capability of two. So they try to then stagger those intervals. But, yeah, it's, it's completely... Um, you know, or woefully in, inadequate for the needs, and we saw we saw that in, in Bangui in 2018 again because there, uh, when SANDF troops were replaced in a in, in a very very in a position, and they were close to being overrun, there was a need to suddenly airlift resupplies and, and reinforcements to them, and the Air Force was forced having to scramble to to try and find commercial operators because it didn't have enough of a drone aircraft to do so. And that was back when the Air Force was still flying, you know, three or four at any given time. So, again, this is an issue where the aircraft are close to being phased out of capability because there's just too few of them available. Plus, the issue is these are not uh, new aircraft. I mean, these are C-130Bs. They've been upgraded over the years, but they're still fundamentally, you know, 50-year-old um, planes. And there's a, a, a serious need to, to provide them with a, well, a substantial upgrade to keep flying for the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, the Air Force currently can't afford those upgrades. Yeah, yeah. And at the tip of the spear then, Darren, is the presidential uh, Boeing business jet, the BBJ. Um, now, of course, the, the, the Air Force has to be operational but then so does the the political side of um south africa is the bbj operational is it do they do, do does the president and the senior politicians have the capability to move around or are they now traveling on civil flights yeah it's not available yet it's supposed to have been available um a few days ago and to be then used uh, for the president's flight to the, the, the UAE. Instead, uh, they chartered an, an SAA uh, Airbus first flight. Uh, 
part of the problem here, of course, is that the BBJ used to be, well, it, it went for its seat check. So, you know, every few years, if you have one of those, yeah. it's quite a, a, a fairly, you know. Massive um, uh, strip down, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And it, especially, you know, being a BBJ, the interior is custom, so it, it, it takes a lot longer than a typical airliner seat uh, check. Yeah. Now, traditionally speaking, those were all done by the OEM, which was Jet Aviation in Switzerland. This time around, for reasons that haven't been made clear, it was decided to rather do it uh, in South Africa, so with SAA Technical. And I think that's proven to be a really poor choice because SAA Technical had no experience with performing seat checks on DBJs. You know, which which don't only have the custom interior, they also have custom components like extra fuel tanks and and and, and um, other mods. So this sea check ran wildly over schedule, and the aircraft hadn't been available for a number of months where it should have been available. And again, you know, this kind of speaks to the just <laughs> really poor decision making. So not only do you have a low budget that's causing problems, but there's an insistence, I think, on doing too much locally. In support of, of various other government initiatives, so for example, to provide funding to SA Technical, which has been going through a, a rather rough, um, uh, rough period of late, uh, and that's been done, I think, at the cost of, of capabilities. Wow. So, Darren, let's let let's look at where uh, where we go now with this, just to put it into context. Where does South Africa see itself? In, in in the region now? Does it still see itself as a significant player to support the United Nations to potentially work on anti-terrorist initiatives, um, support lo- uh, local governments, other local governments in, in the region? Does it have the capability? Can it? Will it? I think there's still the belief at the highest levels that it can. And it must. And I think we've seen this in terms of the SANDF involvement in Mozambique, despite the fact that um, it's placing enormous strain on the SANDF, especially on the specialized units. Uh, and uh, we clearly can't provide the forces that, 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 that are really necessary for that kind of mission and for that kind of, 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 of enemy. Um, there's... If you listen to the comments made by senior government officials, by the defense minister, by the president, by the foreign minister, you're not seeing enough of a recognition as to the extent to which Africa's power has declined over the past 50 to 20 years. And um, it's certainly, I think, a belief on their side that we can continue to do the same kinds of things we used to do and um, that there's been no, well, there's nothing holding us back. Going back to 2015, there was a defense review that was created and launched to much fanfare. And uh, this defense review looked at the whole picture, you know, what was necessary for the SANDF uh, for Africa security. Uh, you know, really the, 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 a pretty clear-sighted view of what's required. Uh, but that required increasing defense spending to approximately doubling it over 15 years. Uh, instead, since then, the budget has decreased even further, at least 20% since then. So you have this defense review that was launched, which is still, officially speaking, policy, yet <laughs> none of the funding to, to you know, put it in place has, 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 has come to bear. Um, and yet the, the, the last time the Minister of Defense was asked about it, her response was no, there's no need to consider a new, a new review. It's good enough that we can carry on with the old one. So it's unclear why there's this disconnect between the reality on the ground and the word statements and evidently beliefs of those in charge. Yeah, yeah. Now, what has given me some hope, though, is that up until about a year ago, uh, South Africa's top leadership in both the Defence Force and the Air Force had been in place for, uh, I mean, seven years in the one case, and I think 13 years in the other case. So very long long-serving people yeah. who had built up their own, um, I think, groups around them. So in a very short amount of time, both the head of the Defence Force and the head of the Air Force have been replaced, and we now have a new Defence Minister as well. So I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe things might change, and there might be a new recognition that, 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 that there's a requirement to to rethink a few things. And certainly the head of the Air Force, 
the new head of the Air Force has been a lot more open in speaking to Parliament, for example, and, and outlining exactly how dire things are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, for example, I mean, everything we've quoted so far has been released publicly, which is something that we wouldn't necessarily have seen uh, a few years ago. Yeah. So I am, I am cautiously optimistic that we might see a turnaround in thinking, but I think it's too late for many of the systems. Yeah. Now Darren, we're at the point where it was. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to say, Darren. Just, just in terms of, I, I suppose, that that point. Um, and the systems and the uh, the airframes that South Africa has more recently traditionally operated have been, should we describe them as maybe Western-focused, US um, suppliers, Sweden, the UK, uh, some local products, um, you know, Leonardo helicopters, um, organizations like that. In the world that we're in today and events in the Ukraine. You mentioned training in Cuba. Is there any shift potentially in philosophies in terms of the supply chain in the future? Is South Africa looking to supply uh, product from other sources these days or will it potentially continue to source, air quotes, Western technology? Yeah, that's it. It's a great question, and it's something that's currently the focus of a lot of debate internally. There is pressure, uh, as I understand it, on the Air Force to consider, especially Chinese systems. Yeah. Uh, the Air Force traditionally has refused because the Air Force has a very Western-oriented system in place. You know, it, it effectively has standardized around NATO standards, Yeah. and uh, it doesn't really have the, the kind of um, – well, it's, it's never been willing to go towards – Russian or Chinese systems. Uh, and I think at the moment they're probably taking themselves. They didn't go for Russian systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. But longer term, I don't think it can be. I don't think we can rule that. I think the pressure is there for it. I think also the price pressures are going to keep applying. Yeah. And it, it certainly, I think, could be possible. I know China was quite strongly trying to encourage South Africa to buy its Y20 at some point. Um, but. Tough to say, though, because currently there's not a single Air Force program to acquire systems that is going anywhere. Yeah. So the Air Force's budget for acquisition has been effectively ground down to, to nothing. And so um, we're not seeing much in the way of, of indications around where they're looking or what's currently being seen as, as, as viable. So I'm afraid I, I can't give a good answer there, except no, it's it, a- it would just just an interesting um an interesting situation are there are there any um russian or um or other products in 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 the mix in terms of land forces or sea forces has there been any demonstrable change in any of the other um areas of the south african defense force no actually quite strongly not um all systems are effectively Western. Yeah. Uh, with a few exceptions, for example, the SANDF had so many RPGs in stock that it captured during the, the, the conflict in Gola that that became the predominant, um, you know, uh, uh, army and tank system. Yeah. As opposed to a, a, a locally made FT5 system that had before. And of course, the special operations forces are allowed to use whatever gun they like. So they often use, uh, FAMSs in, in combat. But beyond that, there's there's nothing um, in, in, in the inventory that is uh, from China or from Russia. Wow. And I think this comes down to that the the you know the SANDF inherited a deep distrust for I'd say Russian and Chinese systems, which probably is not always always a valid one. Um, but it's definitely kind of kept going despite everything else that's happened. Well, it's fascinating times. Uh, really interesting to talk through, particularly some of those aircraft airframes uh, uh, and things like that darren where can we find you online sure so i'm most active on twitter where you can find me uh, at darren underscore all of you um and uh, my company african defense review you can find us at africandefense.net right okay that's wonderful now, now darren there's a much wider agenda in the whole of africa and and, and you do cover 
not only South African uh, military aviation, but other parts of Africa as well. Will you come back sometime and talk to us about other areas of Africa's aerospace and defence? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, there's much happening there, especially around Turkey. Well, Darren, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, and look forward to uh, having you back to talk about the rest of Africa. As always, it's been a pleasure. So we'd like to thank White Hearts and Peter Dixon, as well as the wider extended family of supporters, including the aviation historian. You can find me, Peter Johnson, at Nascot Hornet on Twitter, and you can find Gareth, Tim and Ellie on the extended Twitter, Facebook and Instagram feeds. As many of our listeners are now on the Spotify podcast app, please can you click on the ratings tab? You can do anything from one to five stars. Obviously, we'd appreciate any five star reviews. As easy as that, it's just one click. And with the arrival of the music, it's goodbye from Darren. Thank you so much, Peter. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, Peter Johnson. Remember, stay tuned to this frequency. That is, of course, Aerospace Radio Station Extended. Extended would like to thank its partners, Global Aviation Resource, the Royal Aeronautical Society and XTP Media for their support in helping to present and produce the programme. Our legal policy and use of our material can be found on our website. Please do ask before using anything you hear. The programme is produced with a Creative Commons licence. cockpit's very cramped, you've got leg restraints on, you're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Just taking me on the trip of a lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Knowing how to recognise a store being taught like visually and the basic PPL, it wouldn't bother me. Thanks for listening to Extended. And don't forget, we want you to contact us. Get involved at aviation-extended.co.uk is the email address you need. Extended. This is XTP Media.